This is episode number 98 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Catherine Roberts. Catherine is a yoga expert, someone who owns her own company and works with several Major League Baseball organizations. Um, In this episode, we kind of get into what's the proper way to go about going through yoga, how she has helped her own baseball players while doing yoga, taking care of of their feet, um, talking about movement screens, kinematic sequence, force plates, how do you actually, uh, everyone always talks about ground force reaction, but how do you actually soak up all that energy from the ground? Um, Great episode, really appreciate Catherine's time. Her website is humanperformancesports.com, so make sure to go check her out. And like always, if you haven't already, please head on over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. So without further ado, here is Catherine Roberts. All right, and we are now live with Catherine Roberts, who is the founder of Human Performance for Sports. Catherine, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Patrick. This is awesome. So glad we could do this so quickly. So for the listeners who maybe who don't know who you are, could you give a brief background on yourself? Sure. So um, I have been working in MLB for 16 years, uh, both on the major and the minor league sides. Um, my background is, um, in baseball specific yoga slash mobility, um, as well as developing strength by using your own body weight against the force of gravity. So I use that term yoga in air quotes. (laughs) Um, I'm also, um, certified in, um, advanced classical Pilates. Um, I came from the golf background actually where I have another company called Yoga for Golfers, and we have certified instructors in 40 countries. So wow. I got recruited into baseball from golf. But um, what, I, what I also wanted to add as part of my credentials is that I also have a degree in chain reaction biomechanics. So I'm a, a multidimensional, multi, multifaceted um, coach slash trainer, if you will. And I look at the body and movement from very uh, from varying perspectives. Yeah, and I, I saw you give um, give a presentation at the ABCA in Dallas um, this past week on ground force reaction, talking about you know, and you hear that phrase a lot, but what you don't hear is, well, how do you like how do you how does that work? Like how do you actually use the ground to help create more energy for your your swing or you throwing a baseball or whatever? And I think that's kind of like we were talking a little bit before we started recording the podcast is, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing these movement screens, but well, what happens? Like, how are they fixing it? You know, once they do, you know, fail a screen. So I guess just first thing would be just how do you use the ground to help benefit you when you're swinging or throwing? So. The ground reaction forces is very interesting. Um, I've, I have found the use of force plates to be extremely beneficial for guys to really understand where they're generating power and even more importantly, where they're leaking power from the ground. Um, and you asked the question about how do you create that, which was why the presentation I did at the ABCA included the very important term, which is foot function. I think a lot of coaches good, bad, or indifferent, it's just the way that it is, don't really understand the function of the foot. Um, and, and to be able to drive power, to push off the ground, to create that vertical power. 
So um, I start out with my athletes doing um, doing a lot of footwork, whether it be rolling on a half dome ball um, that you know has nipples on it, so you can get that feedback from the ground. So you first start by taking the all the metatarsals and pushing them into that half dome ball and releasing ten times. Then you put the arch of the foot on the apex of the ball, pressing down into that ten times. And then you put the center of the calcaneus, which is your heel bone, on the apex of the ball, push down into that 10 times. Another thing we do um, is I will have guys walk on varying surfaces to warm up their body. Something, Gray Cook had a great line, and I believe this to be 100% correct. He said that the foot is an, is an essential sensory organ. There is direct line from the foot right up to the brain. And when we have guys, let's say, for example, who have been wearing cleats or wearing sneakers, you know, or for, for most of their lives and they're not out of their shoes enough, uh, then you end up with dysfunction in the feet, like prolapsed arches, um, ankles that continue to roll, um, you know, plantar fasciitis, the inability to articulate the toes, the inability to create any kind of foot function. If you have that, then you're going to have a guy that has a lot of trouble creating ground reaction forces. So part of what I do too, um, when an athlete comes to me, my first assessment, Patrick, is I assess their gait. And I say, take your shoes off and let me just see you walk, pretend I'm not even here. What I'm looking for is what's happening as their heel strikes the ground, let's say with the right foot. What's happening going up the kinetic chain all the way up to the head as their foot strikes? And then as their back leg starts to propel forward, there should be another efficient chain reaction that will happen just in gait. Now, it takes quite a trained eye to be able to see this. I've been doing this for a very, very long time. So um, I wouldn't suggest that um, maybe coaches listening would be able to really see that. But a lot of coaches do work with the kinetic chain. Um, and so to be able to look at that with the most fundamental movement pattern after crawling, which is walking, um, you can really see a lot um, just by assessing um, someone's gait. But back to your – go ahead. No, I was just going to say, is that basically why lifting barefoot has become such a big thing within the past few years? I mean, you see everybody lifting barefoot these days. 100%. You know, I talked to a, a coach yesterday who was telling me that um, he has, they, they, one of their athletes, they put him in this specific shoe when he's, when he's lifting. Um, and what that shoe does, is that shoe is basically an orthotic to make sure that his arches don't prolapse when he's lifting so that he can use the ground more. And he asked me what I thought about that. My response is, is that when you're creating um, an inauthentic support for a part of the body. So the analogy that I used was if you have a player with a bad back and you put them in a back brace, do you think that you're making their back stronger? Right. Yeah. No. The answer is no, you're not making no. their back. Stronger. So when you create a false external, um, implement to put the foot in the proper position, you're not fixing the problem. You're not fixing a problem. You're not positively impacting the function of that athlete's foot. And you're not giving them the ability to really use the ground. 
So back to the initial question, which was how do you train the athletes to activate these ground reaction forces? One of the things is I start them with a very simple progression, which looks like a squat and yoga, we call it a chair pose. And I, and I coach them and I cue them by the way, with 100% external cues, which is what I use is external cueing. And I tell them to drive their feet through, to drive their feet 12 inches through the ground as they start to straighten their legs. And then we go drive your feet to two feet below the ground as you start to straighten your legs. And then we go three feet and then we do the same thing, but then we do it with a single leg RDL. So I'm always creating a progression. I like to train my athletes. We, you know, we go from two feet and then we go to one foot as soon as possible because base, I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's running and <laughs> et cetera, things that you, things that you do with both feet. Like if you're getting ready to pitch, you have both feet on the ground, but you have to feel not only the connection to the ground, but you have to feel your body centered over your feet. So this is also why when I'm training my athletes, I focus very much on the position of the diaphragm and the rib cage. I coach them on IAP, which is intra-abdominal intra pressure. And then from that, we create this proximal stability so then they get more distal mobility. But that's really a lot of words to describe an athlete feeling that they are centered over their feet. And I'll just give you a little bit of specific baseball feedback to that. Um, I had a pitcher just tell me the other day that um, his velocity has actually gone up and he feels that it's because he feels more centered over his body and that the movements of his extremities, his legs and his arms feel more effortless by being more centered. Um, I also have a guy I'm training with one of my teams uh, he's an outfielder, and he said that when he was fielding, fielding ground balls, it always felt like two movements. But now the work that we're doing, he's so centered over his feet and understands this proximal stability that now fielding ground balls for him is one movement and not two. So now you're talking about a split-second difference on the field, which is the difference between throwing a guy out oh, yeah. and not. Yeah. Well, other thing is, um, speaking of, of lifting barefoot, um, just piggybacking on that, what you just uh, talked about, um, with that is what about hitters like warming up like hitting barefoot like hitting off a tee or like doing soft toss barefoot does that make sense or is that not good I wouldn't want to make that call because I'm not the skill coach you know my job is to make sure that the athlete can perform at the highest level with the least amount of effort uh and remain injury free. So, you know, I, I wouldn't want to comment on that, not because I'm eluding the question is because I don't feel that that's part of what I would do. Person not, not an extent of my responsibilities is what I meant to say. Now, I think that anytime you can have an athlete be barefoot, it makes a whole lot of sense. Now I wouldn't want the guy sliding into first base barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's smart, but, um, I, I think it's I think it's pretty interesting, and you know, on the golf side of my business, uh, some people play the best round of golf when they play barefoot. Really? And, oh, absolutely. And I per personally, for me, I'm a golfer. Golf is my sport. The best round I ever shot was uh, I ended up playing barefoot because I had a pair of shoes in my golf bag uh, that were very very hot on a very hot day here in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where I live, and they were just. 
I, my whole body was uncomfortable by wearing these uncomfortable shoes. And I said, the heck with it. And I'm taking them off. And I shot the best round of my life. Um, and so to your point, bringing it back to baseball, I think any time that we can train the athlete to feel a connection and utilize the ground, then we are, um, we're, we're creating tremendous benefit. Getting, getting into more yoga now, I know you're a yoga expert. Um, what are the benefits to yoga for a baseball player or just anybody in general besides the flexibility component of it? Yep. The first and foremost thing that we do when we're practicing yoga, and this is what I work with my players every day, is being able to utilize breathing, being able to understand their breath patterns, and being able to utilize the breathing to slow down the pace of the game. So, and, and I will even get even more specifically, let's say with my pitchers, is that, you know, you take a breath, but then as you exhale, you feel that your traps are just relaxing. And that will help you get the tension out of your body. We need to have a body that's tension-free for a split second so that you can get a full range of motion to eccentrically load. So a tight muscle doesn't load as well as a loose muscle. Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't need to ramp up the nervous system because you absolutely do. You need to turn on the nervous system as quickly as possible, but also turn it off as quickly as possible. And the use of the breathing, which is the fundamental practice of yoga, as well as Pilates, um, is something that if we can teach that to our athletes, we can teach them not only the physical benefits, but also the psychological. Is that Does that come into the mindset conditioning as well that you do with, with yoga? 100%. What, with that, and then my, my next question is, what does that have? Is that some sort of if you're doing yoga, would that be considered also like some sort of meditation too? It could turn into a meditation. Anytime you're just focusing on your breath, it's considered a meditation. Anytime you're calming the mind, it's a meditation. You know, it can be done driving in your car. It doesn't have to be sitting in a lotus position staring at a candle. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I agree. I do. You know, I do actually I actually do transcendental meditation twice a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. It's awesome. Awesome. That is I, you're better than I am, Patrick. I don't do a meditation at night, but I do a 20 minute meditation in the morning. And sometimes that meditation is just focusing on my breathing and thinking about my intention for the day. And my intention for the day might not be what I want to get done. It might be how I want to be in the world. You know, maybe today I want to, my guiding, my guiding principle is how can I be of maximum service to each athlete and each person I encounter today? How can I serve them? How can I create a program that's going to benefit them for that day? Because my work is not about me. It's about them. And, you know, when I, when I'm working with someone and they, number one, move better, number two, they're pain three, pain free. Number three, they're performing better and they're injury free and they feel better as they're walking around the world outside of baseball. I feel like I'm doing a good job. Right. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Now, if someone wants to do yoga, though, to help benefit them, but they don't really know what exercise to do or how to do it, what would you recommend? Well, let me say something about yoga in general. Okay. Now, if some... 
if someone is looking to start, you know, start something, start a yoga class, they need to look for an instructor that, in my opinion, understands biomechanics, which is very few. Um, they need to find an instructor that walks around and does hands-on adjustments and offers modifications for varying levels of um, abilities. And I think to look for a smaller class, not to walk into a class of 70 people and doing a hot vinyasa flow if you've never done yoga before. You know, my, my company used to be called Yoga for Baseball. And the reason that we changed the name of the company was I didn't feel that having only the word yoga in what I do was um, a, a true reflection of everything that we, we bring to the table in MLB. So, um, and, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's all about human performance. So you, do you, you don't think someone should start, should start doing yoga like at their house? You think they should go to an actual class first? I think doing yoga at the house is fine, but I think working with an instructor that they can find someone and go find a basics yoga class to learn the fundament, to learn the fundamentals. It's, it's kind of like baseball, right? Like you need to learn the fundamentals and then build upon those fundamentals. So back to the practice of yoga, not only does it create mobility, and by the way, sometimes mobility in the wrong place is not a good thing. You know, sometimes you, I see this even with guys is that they have hypermobility in one place. You know, if that's a situation, we need to dial that back and build strength in that joint and that the muscles that surround that joint to create more integration in that part of the body. But people think about yoga as, oh, I need more flexibility. The other thing is this, this goes back to the ground reaction forces is that yoga uses the force of gravity to create tremendous strength. So I, I can, I can work with a guy and never put him on a piece of equipment. And again, not that that's a bad thing, but I can work with a guy and I can get him exponentially stronger just by using his body against the force of gravity without using any weight. So the strength piece of practicing yoga, I think is something that's um, not quite talked about enough. Do you incorporate yoga with, so I know since you work with, with how many major league teams do you work with now? I work with eight. You work with eight. So working with eight teams, do you like, are you in ongoing conversations with the strength, co strength coach to like incorporate? Yeah. Okay. Every single day. So yesterday with one of my teams, we had 60 players in the batting cages doing a yoga recovery class. Wow. So, and, and I'm doing that with almost all of my teams. So my, so this is how I describe it, Patrick. I'm, I'm one spoke in, in a huge wheel of the organization. Now, I think that spoke in that wheel is an important spoke, but I'm one part of it. I believe in being part of the team. So the first thing that I do, first thing when I walk in, I ask the strength coaches, what did they do yesterday? What are they doing today? And what are they doing tomorrow? And I have to be instantly adaptable. So if that go in and they say, you know, we just crushed these guys, we just crushed the lower body, then I know that I'm going to do more of a recovery lower body 30-minute yoga um, session than I will if they did upper body. It's going to be very different on, uh, let's say, a camp on the minor league side in September as it would be on the big league side in the middle of March, right? So, so it's all about being adaptable. I work hand-in-hand constantly with the strength and, and the conditioning coaches that's the category that i fall under is strength and conditioning 
Should these players be doing yoga every day? Absolutely. There's no reason not to. And, and, but they need to be doing a type of yoga that is specific for what their need is for that day. So another thing I do for my teams is I work with the video department and I shoot content that sits up on my platform and we invite the players to it. So let's say one of the workouts might be dynamic hip and T-spine. Okay. So maybe it's just a dynamic hip and T-spine, 15 minute yoga based Pilates based, um, session. I'll do something that is for recovery that they can use on travel days, or they can do it at recovery before they go to sleep because sleep is very, very important as we know. Um, I might do something that would be more of a, a workout type scenario. So that's going to be really focusing on using the ground, ramping up the nervous system, and that's something that they can use before they're um, going to go out and play. Or maybe if it's if it's a, a day off of, of um, you know conditioning or lifting. One of the other things that I saw you do uh, when, when you were speaking in Texas is you did you know, a movement screen, and that's become really popular uh, these days with TPI and, and FMS and some other things. Um, how do you do your movement screen, and what do you implement to help help those players like fix what maybe you find that are that are wrong with it okay well i'm certified in tpi i actually was in their first class and i'm very very good friends with everyone on that in that organization um i'm i'm also fms level two certified so i understand the methodologies very well um and those guys do a great job the way that i assess my players is is a little bit different in that um everything that i do i'm I'm assessing movement and everything that I do is based in triplane motion. So sagittal, frontal, transverse plane. What I do is I, I have a, um, this, and this is based on my degree in chain reaction biomechanics. So this is the movement screen that I use has a possible 66, um, movement patterns that are in that, but I only do six of them because we only have so much time in the day. Right. (laughs) So what I do is I have them stand and um, do a sagittal plane anterior and posterior assessment. The way that I do that is, let's say, for the sagittal anterior, I'll have them stand, and it's if they're standing in the middle of a clock and their arms are stretched out at shoulder height, palms down. They would take their right foot and reach it out to ankle height at the same time, simultaneously stretching both arms over their head in a posterior way. So what I'm looking for, and by the way, when I'm looking at that athlete, I'm walking around them to get a 360 degree view. So what I'd be looking for in that test is I wanna look for ankle dorsiflexion, because I always start from the feet up, Patrick. I'm looking for ankle dorsiflexion. I'm looking to see what's happening in the subtalar joint. Is the arch collapsing? And then I take my eyes and I look straight up the chain. Is there stability or instability in the knee? In the, in the leg that is bent, not the one that's extended, right? But as they start to reach back, does that hip go into extension or does it stay in flexion? And then I look at what's happening in the thoracic spine. If they can't get the thoracic spine into extension as they stretch their arms over their head, there's a pretty good chance that they're compressing the lumbar. Well, what is that? And then I'm also looking at the shoulder external, um, the scapular external mobility. So that one 
part of that six point test gives me a lot of information. So then we go sagittal, sagittal test, and then we go anterior, posterior, and then we do a frontal test again with the arms overhead where you would take your right leg and reach over to the left side simultaneously flexing the thoracic, flexing the, the whole torso actually to the right. I do that on both sides. And then one of the tests that I think tells the most is the transverse plane test, which is I'll have them stand again as if they're standing in a clock with the arms out directly in front of them at shoulder height, palms down. And I'll say, I want you to take a big step out to the right to three o'clock, simultaneously rotating to the right with the upper body. So then that's going to tell me a lot about hip extension. Can they load the glute properly? Can they explode out of that position? Right? Um, are they, or, or, and also the other thing is imbalances. So let's say I have a right handed pitcher. Chances are really good he can rotate his thoracic spine to the right but he might be really challenged rotating his thoracic spine to the left. And I literally just worked with a player yesterday over FaceTime doing an assessment with him and his pitching coach was there and his pitching coach was showing me that he's a bit too um, upright, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when we did the thoracic test to the left, he had tremendous difficulty turning to the left. And we can see that that's showing up now in his pitching mechanics. So we're bringing it all, all together. And, and, um, I know for the listener, it might be a little hard to understand. I'm trying to articulate it as clearly as possible. Um, what type of, what type of exercises would you give to somebody who does fail one of those? Okay. So here's an example. And I just did this for this player yesterday. So he was challenged with right hip extension and left thoracic rotation. Okay. So I immediately honed in on this exercise. I do which is called hip drives, but it's frontal plane hip drives with thoracic rotation. So I'll walk you through it, Patrick. So he's gonna face me kneeling, all right? Now his left leg is going to go out to the left. So his left, his left foot is gonna be facing away from him, right? So his left leg is gonna look like the letter L. Right. He's rolling on his right knee and his arms are up at a 90 degree angle. Okay. So, and what I say is if I took a bat and I laid a bat down on the ground, the bat would be in your right knee and your left heel would be in line with the bat. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then I have him inhale and drive his hips to the left, which is going to help his right hip go into extension. It also helps his left ankle go into dorsiflexion. Okay. And then I have him exhale keeping his rib cage down, getting all the air out as he takes his right hand, reach past his left ankle without touching the ground, and his left shoulder blade is rotating towards me. So he's in deep flexion, but deep rotation with the, thoracic, with the thoracic spine. And then he comes back out of it. So we'll walk through it again. So you would inhale to drive your hips to the left, exhale with the rib cage down, reaching right arm past left ankle, the scapula coming back towards the coach, and then you come out of it. So that's, that's just one progression. So that there you go right there is taking that assessment and coming up with a 
mobility and stability solution. And what you'll see with the guys, for example, with this guy, I'm trying to get his right hip into extension. If I was to switch sides, his right knee would be probably at a 30 degree angle because he can't extend his right hip to make the right leg drive at a 90 degree angle. So for me, every, I always start out with the assessment, which is why the sub, you know, one of the subtitles for my company is assess, train, perform, never work with a client without assessing them ever, ever, ever on the baseball side or the golf side. But then every exercise I do is an assessment as well. Anytime they move, even when they're walking towards me, like we first started out our conversation about gait is an assessment and it's always changing. And I think that's, I think that's why it's important that as coaches, we're always learning so we can have these multifaceted ways to see our athletes. I kind of describe myself as like a body archeologist. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Okay, let me see. How can I dig deeper? If I move that, if I move my shoulder, how does that affect my left foot? And I just want to tell you a quick story about assessing. So for one of my teams, I the the coaches call me in, and this happens a lot. They say, "Can you assess this guy and take take care of him? You know, let us know what's going on." So this was a pitcher, a right-handed pitcher that I was in a problem with his right shoulder. I took him through this triplane six-point assessment. And I said, what's going on with your left big toe? And he was like, holy cow, how did you see that? And I said, he said, I broke it last year and it never healed properly. And I said, well, your, your left big toe and the injury to that left big toe is affecting your right throwing arm. And so we start to work a lot with this kinetic chain, with chain reaction biomechanics, understanding the kinematic sequence and ground reaction forces, you can start to put this puzzle together, um, I think in, in a meaningful way, which is always exciting. Yeah, that is, that is really, really interesting. Now, if you have a big group of players at one time, how do you assess them all though? Because a lot of coaches, they only have so much time and space for, for their players. You can take them through that six point assessment. Now, Candidly, it's harder to see what's happening when you have, I, I, I'm not going to suggest that you'd be able to do an assessment with 60 guys in the batting cages at the same time. I mean, that's just not an efficient way to do it. Right. But this assessment takes a very short period of time. And the more you do it, the more you can see quickly. So if you're doing this assessment properly, it shouldn't take you more than seven minutes. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Now I know you also, I've seen you do some stuff with some force plates with body track and just kind of curious as to, um, what you found using, using those. So they just came out in baseball for using those right. as force plates. Yeah. I've been using them in golf for a very long time. Um, there's some really good organizations out there. Swing catalyst is great. Bell tech is great. Um, body track is fantastic too. It depends on you know, it really depends on your facility. Right. Um, well, I know body track is what? It's like 3000 bucks. I know swing catalyst is like what? Over 20,000. Yeah. They're just, they're different animals. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's apples and oranges. I like body track because it's portable. And my, in my world, I have eight teams. I need to be as portable as possible. Right. You know, that works for me. Um, you know, I, I've seen some tremendous, um, physical benefits from using the body track. 
if nothing less than a guy knowing where his weight is, you know, and being able to push into the ground, you can create so much more exponential power up the chain when you know how to use the ground. And sometimes being able to see it, you know, on the screen in front of you and know that when you're pushing more with this right side, exactly what's happening. So, you know, so sometimes it's used more for um, an assessment and sometimes it's used to train the guys to say, you know, yeah, push into the ground when you see this. I like doing both. Um, there are also some guys, to be honest with you, that they don't really want to know that much about the numbers, you yeah. know, and, and um, so I think there's many applications for it. Um, I love it. On the golf side, you know, we, we I'll just tell you a quick story. We, we used it um, in a clinic that I was doing on power and distance, and we all we did was use the, the force plate, and we had a client when he understood how to use the ground and use the force plate, he drove the ball 32 yards further than he did the swing before. Whoa. Massive. I mean, that that can translate instantly into, into baseball in terms of velocity. Wow. What, what, so what, what is the difference then between body track and swing catalyst? You know, I, I, I think, you know, I'm not going to comment because I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, I know that... Um, you know, guys like, like Kyle, uh, you know, at driveline and those guys, I believe they, they use swing catalyst. Um, I think it depends on your facility. Um, I don't really, I, I can't speak intelligently to the specific differences in the products. So you haven't, you, you haven't used swing catalyst before? I've used it with golf pros using it on the golf side. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I've seen it. But that's not that's not the one I use just because it doesn't um, my, like I said before my business is more portable. And then you also do some work with K Motion, is that correct? Yes, I've been working with K Motion and K Vest for over ten years on the golf mm -hmm. side, and um, we're using it a whole lot more now on the baseball side. Um, it's I believe that if you did nothing but measure the ground reaction forces and the kinematic sequence in hitting you would have a tremendous amount of data. Then if you took that data and then did this assessment or assessed your players, you would have a really clear direction of, of where to go. Um, so like, you've, you've used the K-Vest on baseball players before? And I'm just curious as like what you found. Well, what I look at, what is an efficient sequence and what is an inefficient sequence? So we know that an efficient sequence for, and should I speak to the technology? I don't know what the, well, let me, so basically what, what they do at KVEST, K-Motion, K-Baseball is they put a sensor on the, thor on the sacrum, on the thorax, and on the lead hand, okay? And, and based on that, you can, if you can see whether the sequence is efficient or inefficient. So an inefficient sequence, the pelvis, there should be a, a spike of the pelvis activity and then a quick deceleration of the pelvis activity as the thoracic activity is, is riding that deceleration of the pelvis, right? So it goes pelvis, thorax, hand, back. There should be a rapid acceleration, but again... Well, they, they have the lead shoulder too for... Um... I meant to say shoulder. My yeah. apologies. I meant to say shoulder. Lead shoulder. Um, my apologies. 
And so, right, so there should be this acceleration, but there should also be the rapid deceleration. And these segments of the body should be riding each other almost in a straight line. So when you see that, um, it's a pretty cool thing. Now, when you see there's lapses in how maybe the thorax is not, um, it, I'm sorry, the pelvis, right? So the pelvis is firing. Maybe the thorax isn't getting enough separation from the pelvis as it should. So maybe there is a, um, let, there should be more separation, what we call hip to shoulder dissociation. And you can see that, you can see that with the K-Vest and you can see it in hitting. So um, I think maybe you're not someone that's actually doing the testing, but if you're not doing the testing, you need to understand the technology. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. One of the things that I've I've found out um, by using KVS because I do I actually just got one is and doing some more research on it is like I know for example Mike Trout, best baseball player, he has a perfect kinematic sequence, but I also know some very very highly um, baseball players who actually are out of sequence using the K motion. And so there's similarities. I'm sure. I mean, from an acceleration standpoint, from what I've seen, but it's, it is interesting. I think a big part of it too is, you know, in baseball, you're just, you're hitting a golf ball. It's not moving versus baseball, you know, context matters. Is it, you know, batting practice? Is it, you know, a machine? Is it soft toss? Is it off of a tee? So I think it's just, it's so early on, but I think, um, the more data we get will eventually, um, will make more sense over time. KVS is tremendous product. Like I said, I've been working with them on the golf side for 10 years. So I was super excited to see it really jump off on the baseball side. Um, and um, we're actually working right now on creating a yoga program utilizing KVEST. Oh, wow. So we, we've been working on that for a while. Um, I work uh, very closely with a couple of the guys there. Um, they actually are here in Scottsdale. So we're working on that program. We've already started it. So there'll be an exercise piece to the uh, yoga mobility piece to the KVEST product coming very soon. Have you ever used a client um, while they're on KVEST, put them through a screen and then like just like look at their numbers and then, you know what I'm talking about, and then just kind of like tr keep track of that and see if they, over time they can improve them? Absolutely. We do it all the time especially we do it all the time on the baseball side, but especially on the golf side too. Um, every time I'm working with a coach, we're, we're on, we're on K best. And it's interesting because what I like to do and on the baseball side too, is you put them on K best and then you take them through some exercises based on what you see on the first, on the first analysis of K best and then put them back on and see if you're able to implement change. Mm. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I just started messing around with it. I put it on myself um, a couple nights ago. I was just going through the TPI screen to see. Yeah, and that's where I think that's where as coaches, we are we we always have to be kind of straddling the threshold and going have and and having a level of curiosity. Is this a skill? Is this a skill issue, or is this a or is this a mechanic you know physical issue? But when we can bring the two together and then test on top of it, I think we have a greater level, greater opportunity for success for sure. Absolutely. Um, Catherine, really appreciate you coming on today. Um, been a pleasure and, um, I'm going to go get my yoga on later on today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. And here's my offer to you. I would be more than happy to assess you over FaceTime and put you on a program based on what I see and also based on your own TPI screen. 
and based on your kinematic sequence. So let's pull the whole package together awesome. and let, let me do that for you. And the offer also holds for any of the listeners. Um, they can contact me through my website, which I'm sure you'll put up. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and also through social media, we'll put that up as well. But I'm here to help and I'm training guys all over the world over FaceTime. So if we can't physically be together, we can take all that data, all the screens, and, you know, let's get after it. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait. I, I, I need to come out of retirement now. I should be, I should be uh, starting to play again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Really appreciate it, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Take care.